On Friday morning, I spoke to you on this subject of demolishing spiritual prisons. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that just by way of review for those people who weren't here, because I think about half of you were not here. And then I want to take us into setting captives free. Okay? And so let's just do a little bit of review from what we taught on Friday. And so I'm asking you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 and 5. Verse 3 to 5. This is what it says. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. We start reading. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus, who has opened heaven to us and brought us close to you. We honor him as our champion and Lord. And we thank you for giving us the powerful Holy Spirit, who is always with us. And we ask for more of the release of Holy Spirit power and anointing in our lives. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we ask for the equipping of our lives, for the work of the ministry. I thank you for this leadership team, and I honor them as I honor you for bringing them together and doing the great work that is in them. Now I ask you to bless them this night. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is a powerful scripture. The Lord says that even though we are fighting, the weapons of our warfare are not natural weapons, but spiritual weapons. But then the scripture says that we have divine power to demolish strongholds, spiritual strongholds. I believe that a stronghold is a curse. A stronghold in somebody's life is something that they can't seem to get away from. It's a force and a power. It's a prison that people live in, and they have to break the stronghold. And the Lord says that he has given us divine power. You know what divine power is? It's God power. It's heaven power. The Lord gives us heaven power. He gives us God power to demolish prisons. You know, a strong box is a vault. A stronghold is a prison. And then Jesus, when teaching about casting out demons, we read about that in Luke chapter 11, verse 20 to 23. He says that when I, with the finger of God, cast out demons, know that the kingdom of God has come to you. And then he says, when the strong man, talking about the lead demon who might live inside of somebody, has possession of the house, he brings it under his control. But when a stronger than the strong man comes, then he kicks him out of the house and he goes in dry places and tries to come back if he can. And so Jesus is teaching about deliverance. And he says that the main demon in a person's life is called the strong man. And the strong man must be broken. I call him the prison warden. You see, if the strong box is a vault and the stronghold is a prison, the strong man is the prison warden. Now, all kinds of people are in these prisons. There are prisons of poverty. There are prisons of torment. There are prisons of addictions. There are prisons of murder and violence. There are prisons of sickness. There's a prison of being accident prone. There's a prison called alienation that keeps us separated from other people. These and others are the signs of a generational curse that has come down and imprisoned whole families and whole generations. The main reasons that there are strong men or demons in people's lives is because of the prison, because of the curse that is there. So what happens with the curse 
is that somebody sins a certain kind of sin, such as uh, vile perversion, sexual perversion, or the shedding of innocent blood, murder, or witchcraft, or hurting the widow, the orphan, the poor, or the immigrant, and not giving them justice. And the Lord says, all who do these things will be cursed. That means that from that time on, there will be problems in that person's life. And the problems may bring a big list of negative things to them, such as poverty, such as sickness, such as premature deaths, such as accidents, such as rebellions and divorce, and such as the inability to have children. Many different things come down because of the judgments or curses. A judgment is a curse. And it is passed on from generation to generation. We know that the Ten Commandments teaches us the very basis of morality and the, the ethics for society. All of us believe in the Ten Commandments, even though we find them in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, in the Old Testament. But there in the fourth verse, it says, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, it says, do not make an idol or get involved in worshiping an idol. It's saying don't get involved in witchcraft because your God is a jealous God and he will punish you and punish your children and your children's children down to the fourth generation. So right in the middle of the Ten Commandments is this indication and teaching that there is a generational judgment. That's a curse. The curse is the same thing as a judgment that comes because of a terrible kind of sin. In Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says, Daniel's praying, and he says, Lord, you have acted righteously, but we have sinned against you. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments of God have come down upon us. Notice he says that the curses are the sworn judgments. God swears that if you do these things, there will be a punishment. For whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Can a Christian have a curse? Well, can a Christian get involved in any of these wicked sins? Yes. Then he can have a curse. There's no protection that says, once you put the brand Christian on your forehead, that from that point on, you can do whatever you want and nothing will happen to you. And you know you've seen many Christians who, whose lives are a total mess because they keep entering into things that violate the purposes of God. And they bring curses on themselves and on their children and on their children's children. And then in that same, then the next verse in Verse 5 of Exodus chapter 20, it says, But the blessings of God go for a thousand generations to them who fear him. And that means for the rest of the time between now and when Jesus comes, if you walk with God and do extraordinary things, and you are such a blessing to your family and to the purposes of God, there will be a blessing that will go to every generation from here on. All the way. That's the power. You know, the curses that you could have, except for the Adamic curse, but the curses that you have that are personal have only come from your great-great-great-grandfather. No further than that, because curses go for four generations, max. Okay? So that's good to know, <laughs> you know, because there's a lot way back there that could be nasty. <laughs> now, <clears throat> people are in these prisons called judgments or curses. And there are maximum security prisons, medium security prisons, and minimum security prisons. With a minimum security prison, somebody is under a curse. They have bondages in their life. They cannot control all of the problems that they have, but they get to go out on Sunday to go to church. That's a minimum security prison. They're good Christians, many of them. And then there's medium security prisons. 
Those are people who have addictions. They have secret sins. They hate those things. And they are in a place of torment. Many times they can't sleep. And they're always, always fighting against this prison. The prison walls that come closing in on them. The Lord says that we have God power to demolish strongholds. Spiritual prisons. Curses. He gives us God power, divine power, to destroy those things. Then there is maximum security prisons. Those are the people I have seen in mental institutions and lying naked in the mud alongside the road in India where they are so tormented and so demonized that they have no peace. Most of the time they cannot think straight. These are the people that Jesus encountered when he came across the lake and they were in chains and would cut themselves and scream and live among the tombs. They are totally demon-possessed people whose lives are uh, just torn apart because of demon activity. And the reason the demons are there is because of the curses. See, when you pray... To God, you roll out the red carpet for the angels to come. If you pray in connection with the purposes of the Lord, angels come. But when you sin, angels leave. And when angels leave, you don't have protection. And when you sin certain kinds of sins, there's a curse or a judgment that comes on you from God. And when that judgment comes upon you, at that time, the demons say, now we have legal right to come and bring trouble because this person is cursed by God. They have all the legal right and permission to come and destroy a person's life and to bring trouble. And some people, maybe they won't be possessed by a demon, but they will be hindered. They will be obstructed. They will find all kinds of problems that come from every direction. And then they will see it in their children and in their grandchildren. And they will see a generational pattern of weakness and struggle and difficulty because of these curses. So what we need to do is to do what Jesus did. And what did he do? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to set the prisoners free. What's that mean? That means he's going to demolish strongholds. That means he's going to break curses. He's sent me to set the prisoners free. To open the prison doors. To take off the oppression. That's breaking generational curses. To open the eyes of the blind. And then to change the atmosphere over people's lives to change the assignments over their life from curses and struggles and difficulties he says and to proclaim the year of God's favor so that's what he's come to do he's come to bring good news and the good news he brings is to destroy the devil to destroy the prison demolish the prison kick out the prison warden and set the prisoners free and release God's blessings and goodness and anointing upon a person's life so that they're not just getting out of prison. You're not just getting out of prison. You are going to the place where you have God's blessings and God's favor and His goodness on your life. Now, the Bible talks about a number of things that we need to have open. Let me tell you what they are. We need open hearts. We need open face. We need open doors. We need open eyes. And we need an open heaven. All the, the Bible talks about all of these things. The saddest people in the world are the people who have a closed heart and closed hands who live behind closed doors under a closed heaven. That's depression. 
That's darkness. That's evil. But Jesus comes to open the hearts and open the eyes and open the doors and open the heavens. And that's glorious. That's your mission. That's what you've been called to do. That's what I like to do. When I preach, I want to open eyes. When I love people, I want to help open their hearts. When I pray for people, I want to open doors in front of them. And when I prophesy and speak God's word over people, I want to open the heavens over them so that they can receive the year of God's favor. Amen? Amen. If you're taking some notes, let me give you some verses for those things uh, very, very quickly. Okay, for open doors, Colossians 4, 3. For open eyes, Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. And also for open eyes, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. For open hearts, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15 to 18. And 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 2. And open heavens. John 1, verse 51. Do you remember when Jesus met with Nathaniel? And he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And he said, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree over there. I saw you in the spirit. And then he says, The heavens shall open in the days that are coming. And the angels shall be moving up and down upon the people of God. He says, this is what's going to be happening. Open heavens. Paul says that the Lord called him to open the eyes of the blind. And Paul said, pray for us that an open door may come in front of us for the work of the Lord to go forth. So these are biblical truths that all of us need to come into. I'm not going to spend any more time on those things. Now, I know I've shared with you in the past the list of, of, of curses that the Bible talks about. But let's look at them very quickly and just run through them so that we'll get back on track. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, we read this. Deuteronomy 27 verse 15. Cursed is the man who carves an image or makes an idol. That's witchcraft. I want you to, to notice the order that these come in. And I want you to remember them. So we've got witchcraft, right? And then 16. Cursed is the man who dishonors his mother and father. Rebellion against parents. There's two. And then verse 17. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. That's breaking business agreements. Breaking business agreements. Moving your neighbor's boundary stone. There's a stone between you that says that's your property, that's my property. That's the agreement that you have. If you move it, you're breaking the business agreement. And there are many kinds of business agreements that you can be, have, lose your integrity and cheat somebody. And so there's another one. And then it says, Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. That's hurting a handicapped person. I mentioned the other day, I don't think you will get a curse if you drive into the handicapped parking spot. <laughs> but <laughs> if you hurt people who are handicapped, the curse will come on you. It's very important. And then the scripture says, verse 19, Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the immigrant, from the alien, and the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. So the Lord says you better love these people, and you better take good care of them, and give them justice, or else a curse will come on you. Because God loves people, especially those people who cannot fight for themselves. And that's true with children who are orphans and widows. And it's also true for people who come into this country and have nobody here to stand with them. The Lord says, you stand with them. And then 
in verse 20, cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife. The next one says, cursed is the man who has sexual relationships with an animal. And then it says, cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister. And then it says, cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother-in-law. So there's incest and bestiality. Sexual perversion will bring curses on you that will go to your next generation. And then cursed is the man who murders. We read that in verse 24. And cursed is the man in verse 25 who accepts a bribe to kill a person. And that's a hired hitman, an assassin. A curse accompanies that. There are other curses mentioned in the Bible, such as not paying your tithes. Read about that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. And also anti-Semitism. Those people who hate the Jewish people or persecute Jewish people, the Lord says that whoever curses you, I will curse. To Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless. He also said it to Abraham or to Abraham's children. He said the same thing. So here are a list of things, kinds of sins that will bring a curse. And a curse is a prison. A spiritual prison that families can't get out of. These curses cannot be broken by anybody else except Jesus. You can't get this removed at the psychiatrist's office. You can't buy your way out of these things. I think of the Kennedy family here in the United States. And it seems that so many people in that family have died. Premature deaths. And many of them were greatly loved by the people of America and people around the world. And one must ask themselves the question, was there some kind of curse that came down upon that family? And they had all the money and they were very intelligent people. It seemed like they had everything. But if a curse is there, only Jesus can break the curse. And people who work for him, like me and you. So now I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel. And we want to see the Lord's heart in terms of breaking curses. Will you come with me then to Ezekiel chapter 22? Ezekiel 22. I want you first of all to read verse 30 with me. In Ezekiel 22. It says, these are the words of the Lord. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on, on their own heads all they have done, declares the, the sovereign Lord. Now stay here because we're going to look through the kinds of sins that brought this judgment. Notice the Lord is speaking to his people. He's looking for an intercessor. He says, I'm looking for a man or a woman. Some women are the best men we've got because they have hearts of fire and passion and obedience after the Lord, don't they? And he says, I'm looking for somebody who will do two things. One is to stand before me in the gap. There's a gap between the people who are in sin and God. And he says, I'm looking for somebody who can get in between and who will pray and seek my face. He says, if my people will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, forgive them of their sins and heal their land. That's curse breaking. He says these people have to know how to build up the wall. Oftentimes, when a person has been under a curse for many generations, their walls are broken down. People who live on the streets in poverty as beggars, they don't know how to live a structured life. They, their walls are broken down. They can't hold the job. They can't break the addictions. So once you break the prison, the Lord says, I want you to stand in the gap and break this thing through prayer. Intercessors are curse breakers. But he says, and to build up the wall. And that's part of the ministry we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about these two things, standing in the gap and building up the wall. When we pray for people, we're mindful of those two things. 
But now let's look at this chapter in Ezekiel 22 and discover what the scripture says. As we read there uh, in verses 1 to 12, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, will you judge her? Will you judge this city of bloodshed? Then confront her with all her detestable practices and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in her midst and defiles herself by making idols. You have become guilty because of the blood you have shed and have become defiled by the idols you have made. You have brought your days to a close and the end of your years has come. Therefore, I will make you an object of scorn to the nations and a laughing stock to all the countries. So here's two things. Do you see them? Making idols and violence, the shedding of blood or murder. Then we read on, it says in verse 5, those who are near and those who are far away will mock you, O infamous city full of turmoil. He's talking about Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, See how each of the princes of Israel you are uses his power to shed blood. In you they have treated father and mother with contempt. Remember we saw that? That brings a curse if you treat your mother and father with contempt. And in you you have oppressed the alien. That's the immigrant. And mistreated the orphans and the widows. You have despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. In you are slanderous men bent on shedding blood. In you are those who eat at the mountain shrines. That's witchcraft. And commit lewd acts. That's sexual perversions. In you are those who dishonor their father's bed. That's incest. In you are those who violate women. Let's go to verse 11. In you... One man commits a detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. Another shamefully defiles his mother-in-law, and so on. Verse 12, in you men accept bribes to shed blood. What's that? That's the assassin. You take usury and excessive interest and make unjust gains from your neighbors by extortion, and you have forgotten me. When you go through this chapter, you see it's the same list. In Deuteronomy, where the Lord says, if you do all of these, if you do any of these things, curses will come upon you. And then he comes to Jerusalem and said, you've done all of these things. Oh, city of Jerusalem. They deserve judgment. Not because they did one of them, but they did them all. But what does the Lord say? At the end of it, and you can read right down to the end, and it's just a repeat of more of these things. And he says, and I looked for a man, my goodness, who could stand before me on behalf of these criminals and help build up the wall so that I might heal them and forgive them and let my mercy come upon them. But I couldn't find any. It is so amazing to me that after all of these curse-causing sins have been committed in the land, the Lord still doesn't want to judge them. He is so loving and so kind. And that's, you know, sometimes when I come to pray for a lot of people, there are perverted people who stand in front of me. And Joy and I know immediately when we go to pray for somebody the kinds of sins that they have been involved in. It's not our place to expose them. We're here to bring dignity where there is shame. We're here to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds, and to wash the hands of those who have dirty hands. Not to expose them, to bring more condemnation to them or to make them feel worse than they were before they came. If they don't get these things right, they're going to end up in hell. I want to help them get these things right. But sometimes when I pray for people, I feel like I need to go have a bath because there is so much darkness and so much perversion. They are so entrapped with curses and spiritual prisons and they are filled with demon spirits and have a nice Christian faith. But I've come because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to open the prison doors. Amen. So I want to love that person as much as I love the sweet, faithful woman of God who's the intercessor. I want to love the person standing beside her who is vile and ugly in spirit. That's what Jesus did. There are some people that Jesus didn't like. He didn't like legalists. He didn't like child abusers. He says, better 
that a millstone be tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than you touch one of these little babies, one of these little children. And he didn't like hypocrites, three people, legalists, child abusers, and hypocrites. I don't think there's any hypocrites here. You might say, but all of us have some area of our life that's not perfect. But when we come to church, we put on this performance that we are really good Christians. So maybe we're all hypocrites. No, 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 no. That's not the definition of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be perfect, but their whole life is set on evil. And they are actors. It's very different from making mistakes that you don't like. You're not hypocrites. Don't believe the lie that there's just as many hypocrites in the church as there is in the world. It's a lie from the devil. People who are in the church of Jesus Christ are there because they want to walk with God. They're not perfect. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast out. For the Lord upholds him in his hands. And that's who you are. So don't be child abusers. God will hate you. And don't be legalists. God will not like you. And don't be actors who just put on a Christian show but intend to live your life in absolute evil. Don't be a hypocrite. So the Lord is looking for intercessors who will help build up broken lives and stand in prayer to release his blessings. That's your calling and your ministry. Now I want to give you 10 steps to ministering freedom to people. And the first two have to do with your own attitudes and personal preparation. And then the next eight have to do with your ministry and how you should minister to people and what kind of things you want to see happen in people. Sometimes when somebody comes for prayer, we think we should just pray for the thing they ask for. Oh no, when they're coming for prayer, you're ministers of the gospel. You know more than what they know. You know more of the journey. Some people come up for prayer, and I say, what would you like prayer for? And they say, I'd like prayer so that you'd help me in my school studies. And I think, okay, I'll pray that God will help you in your school studies. But that's one small thing. I want to pray over you ten big things. I want your life to change. I want the curses broken. Amen. So they come up for help on their next school test. And I ask them if I can break generational curses. <laughs> and pray for their family's salvation. And pray for the anointing of God for the work of the ministry on their life. And I ask them, and have you had a marriage partner yet? No, I'm not married. Is there somebody in your life? No. Would you like somebody? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> so I'm going for bigger things, all right? But the first two things you always want to look at is yourself. And the first thing out of these 10 points is you have to receive God's authority. You better understand who you are in Christ. You cannot be a minister of the gospel unless you realize where your authority comes. If you hear me say, I break this generational curse in the name of Jesus or some thing that I say, and you think, huh, if I just say that, it will happen. And so you try to do it like that and say those things. It's not the words you say or a pattern 
that you copy off of somebody else. It's the anointing of the Lord on your life. How are you going to get this anointing on your life? Only if you become a holy man or if you become a holy woman. Holiness is not a legalistic thing where you, you know, become like a monk or a nun and you restrict yourself from every enjoyable thing in life. No, that's not holiness. Holiness is when you get so close to God that he rubs off on you. Holiness is a divine aspect of his nature. And you only get that when you get real close to God. Somebody was asking me earlier at the table, tell me about your prayer life. And how can we be ready to pray when the book of Revelation starts? And I say, well, you know, every night I dream about somebody. When I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I pray for the person in my dream. Then when I go to the bathroom, I'm praying for somebody. When I get in the car, that's why I don't like listening to music. I like music, but it's interference. Some people need it to kind of get their motor going. But my motor's going. <laughs> and when I feel heaviness, I thank God. And the motor starts up again. Or I start to forgive those in my life who have hurt me. And there's a long list. And I bless them. And the motor starts up again. So then as I walk with the Lord... He tells me to go and minister to people, and I do. And I do it believing not in me, but in him. And his authority comes. I know he sent me. Has he sent you? Have you been hired? If you have not been hired, you will not be powerful. He says, go into the closet and close the door. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you in public. So walk with God and let his anointing come on you. When I walk into a room of people, I just look around at the people. You might see me at the front of a church meeting when their people are worshiping. I turn around and look at the people. When I see the people of God, anointing comes on me. I look around and I say, Lord, what do they need? What do you want to give them? What would you like me to do? When I start talking like that, the Holy Spirit goes, it's like the tank gets filled. The electricity comes in my hands. Then I say, when I lay my hands on you, God's going to lay his hands on you. So I love people. And I love the anointing of the Lord. Now, this comes if you make yourself available. Make yourself available. You don't have to be a Christian for 20 years for this. It can happen the day you get saved. You can have an anointing to minister to people. It has to do with your faith and your expectation. But it's not the same as pride. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I really know that a lot of people can do a lot of things much better than me. In a sense, I don't care how good they are or what they can do. I'm just here to do my job. And I can pray for people who will be better ministers than me. That doesn't matter. But the first thing is, I want the anointing of the Lord. So I live in the anointing all the time. That's why I don't need the worship service to get the gears started. I, in fact, sometimes I prefer just to come into the meeting. Some people think, but all the people have come from fights and trouble and busyness, and they won't be focused. I say, oh, yes, they will. As soon as the anointing comes, they'll be focused. I don't need musical atmosphere. Jesus didn't have a man with a guitar walking behind him, playing when he went around Galilee. While the music plays... And the house lights are dimmed. And we sing just as I am without one plea. Well, some of those things might be good. They help us focus. But Jesus didn't have those things. 
And you don't need them if you have an anointing for what God wants to do. The second thing is that you, and I talked to you about this earlier, you must, in your own life, allow the anointing of the lamb and the lion. So I want you to look at yourself right now. And I want you to ask yourself, are you more lion or are you more lamb? If you are more lion, you need more lamb. If you are more lamb, you need more lion. If you have neither lion or lamb, you're just a grouchy, powerless person. There are grouchy, powerless people in the church. They don't have lion or lamb. Lion people are powerful. Lamb people are compassionate. So, some of you, when I come to this church, you know what I see? I see lots of lamb and not enough lion. Most of you are not near bold enough. Lion does not mean to be rough with people. It means to be rough with the devil, but not to be arrogant or stand in your own strength. You need a confidence. Many of you lack confidence. You lack confidence. And that confidence you can't make come. You only get it from God. Some of you have confidence in some areas of life, but you're not applying it in the work of the ministry. And the ministry of the Lamb means that you love people sacrificially. When you're tired, you love people and help people. And when you don't like somebody because they have a bad spirit, you love them at any rate. And when there are foolish people, people who misbehave and people who ask dumb questions and are inconsiderate of you, you love them at any rate. And let them know that they're wonderful. All right. So first thing is, you've got to have authority. And the second thing is, you need the ministry of the lion and the lamb. You know, all those people who were there when Jesus rose up into heaven, the angels came and says, why are you gazing up into heaven? Sometimes I wish I could say that to people in the church. Why are you gazing up into heaven? Now go to Jerusalem and get on with the program. All right. The third thing is that you need Christ's character. You have to express Christ's character. What is Christ's character? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faith, gentleness, kindness, goodness. You have to have peace in your life. I don't like it when people try to get me upset. And uh, most of the time, um, even the worst situations... It might take me a little while, but I'm going to shake it off. I am not living in bitterness, unforgiveness, revenge. If somebody hurts me, before the sun goes down, I'll forgive them, even if it's real bad. Because I'm a minister of the gospel. And if I go to sleep with that anger in my heart and that bitterness, it'll fossilize inside of me, and I won't be able to give peace to other people. But you know, when I'm laying my hands on somebody, you know what I notice? I feel the peace of God move through my hands and come onto that person. Every time. Do you know why? Because I have the peace of God inside of me. And the joy of the Lord. I don't know when I'm smiling, but people tell me I smile a lot. But I don't know I'm smiling. I just... Love people, and I love to be alive, and I really love God. 
And even in the worst of times, I have this inside of me. When people are bad or hurtful, I feel sorry for them. I don't hate them. So ask yourself if all of those things are in your life, practically speaking. If you're going to minister to people, you better have those things in your life. If you are lacking in some of them, it's time for you to die. You are the reason you don't have more peace. You are the reason you don't have more kindness. Because Jesus says he doesn't give his spirit by measure. You only take his spirit by measure. He gives it all to you. Amen. So, it's time for you to be an angel for the Lord. And to have the character of Christ. It's out of that character that you're going to minister. Because you want to minister kindness and gentleness and peace and joy and patience. That's what has to come. And the next thing, I think it's number four, isn't it? The next thing you need to minister is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is discerning of spirit and prophecy and gifts of healing and miracles. You know, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, they're all for you. All of them are for you. At one time or another, the Holy Spirit will come on you and use you in one area. And so be expecting. Realize, Lord, we need a miracle here. You don't have to figure it out. Which one do we need? (laughs) You just realize that this is not just counseling. You can give a hundred hours of counseling or two minutes of anointed prayer. Counseling helps people to recognize that they've got a problem. And to come to grips with things like forgiveness. But counseling's not the long, not the answer. One counseling session. That's it. Then pray. And, ex- and let miracles come. Let miracles come. And then the next thing is to break curses. All right? All of these things must be in you and be functioning in you. And then you're going to break prisons, demolish strongholds, break generational curses off of people's lives. And I'm not going to go into any more details on that because we've talked a lot about it. The sixth thing, after you break the curses, cast out the demons. You might watch what I do when I pray for people. I'm not exactly sure of the right order of things. But I may come up to somebody and start to speak God's love to them in some way or another. I might say, you're wonderful. You were formed in your mother's, and God has anointed you. And he has a great calling on your life. And then I might realize that there is an authority here. And I start to prophesy. And then I break the curse in the name of Jesus. All right? And then after that, you might hear me say, now you spirit of rejection, get out in the name of Jesus. You spirit of fear, get out. I take authority. I'm not having a, a boxing match with demons. I'm not going to wrestle with them. I wrestle with the angel of the Lord. I command demons. And I leave it with God. It's not my responsibility. That's Holy Spirit work. So I break the power of the Spirit and I say, come out in the name of Jesus. Usually people are on the ground. And they're shaking. Some of them are screaming. Sometimes there's all kinds of manifestations going on. Eyes rolling back. People bringing up or yawning or doing all kinds of stuff. And I say, Holy Spirit, thank you. Do it all now. And you let the deliverance come. 
And then the seventh thing, remember I'm giving you ten, is to heal the brokenhearted. Isn't that what Jesus did? He says, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. What's a broken heart? A broken heart happens in a person's life when they have been really hurt because they've been abandoned, they've been betrayed, they've been abused, covenant has been broken, and their heart has been broken. You can't have a broken heart unless you have given it to somebody that you love. And when you've given your heart to somebody and they hurt you, it can break your heart. Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted. So then I lay my hands on somebody and I say, I take the arrows of judgment off you. I pull them out in the name of the Lord. I break off you the evil words and the weapons formed against you. I come against the betrayals in your life. And I come against the abuses on your life. The rejection on your life. By this time, most people are crying. I break them off in the name of Jesus. And now I open up every place inside of you. And I release the healing of the Lord. What am I healing? The broken hearts. Broken hearts. See, this isn't just about casting a demon out. There's a lot more things here. And the next step, which is number eight, is to impart dignity and value, nobility and worth into people's lives. Because these men are princes and these ladies are princesses. And I release the blessings of God. I say, now I release to you value. I break the shame off of you. And I give you dignity and honor. I say, well done, woman of God. Well done, man of God. I fill you now with nobility. Some people, I put a crown on their head and a robe on them. And I release dignity. I speak it into them in the name of Jesus. And then lastly, I put people back up on the railroad track of purpose for their destiny. Sometimes I will prophesy over them. But I will say, now I release to you the gift of prophecy or revelation or understanding or anointing. I call you into your God-given ministry. I put fire in your hands. And I release you to gifts of healing to complete the call of God on your life. So here's 10 things that are very important when you're ministering to people. You're not there just to break the problems away. You're there to bring the power and glory of the Lord. Number 10 was to bring them to their destiny and purpose. To speak destiny and purpose that belongs to them and to release the gifts of the Holy Spirit into those people. To call them up in the ministry. So these are things that Jesus did and things that you are called to do as well.